Now, we've been talking about discipleship, and more specifically, when I've been on board, we've been talking about the discipleship of the mind. The center of transformation is not our willpower addressing our behavior. It has to do with our mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, transforming the mind, being, a, being disciplined in the mind, is the most important and the most difficult area of discipleship, which is why we've been kind of chewing on this over and over again. We had three messages already on this. This is number four, and we may have another. I don't know. But uh, it, it, it's so crucial that we get this down because we don't know all the pollution that is in our head because we're so used to it, and yet it greatly affects our life. Uh, for obvious reasons, this message will be called Peter Pan Escapes the Matrix, and that's kind of self-evident, I think. Um, the uh, two passages that I want us to chew on once again has to do with Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, Paul says, let your mind dwell on those things. Dwell means to live there. Live in those thoughts. Live in those thoughts. Consider your, your head to be a house and make sure that, that the environment that you're living in, that you're dwelling in, is the thoughts about uh, truth and holiness, whatever's beautiful, whatever's commendable, and root out everything that disagrees with that. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, this is the goal. Our main act of spiritual warfare is to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Peter Pan escapes the matrix. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you give these words an authority that does not come from me. Uh, God, uh, uh, Holy Spirit, infuse the words here. I pray that there would be permanent alterations made in the mind machine of your people here this morning, God. There is so much junk and garbage that instantaneously comes to the surface in our brains. We don't even know it. But Lord, we're praying that you would just equip us and empower us to take this beautiful computer between our ears and cleanse it, deprogram it, and debug it so that it might serve your purposes rather than the enemy's purpose. Free your people this morning, God. Wake us up. Make us attentive and set us free, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Some of you saw the Steven Spielberg version of Peter Pan. Uh, it, it, it was called Hook. And it kind of goes like this. Peter Panning was a lawyer, ordinary guy, overly busy, overcommitted, kind of typical American, uh, didn't make it to his son's baseball games enough. Uh, life was passing him by because he's so busy making money. Uh, he went to London to do a uh, benefit uh, or a, um, an appreciation dinner uh, for his orphan mother, Wendy. And uh, when he was an orphan, she was the stepmother. And uh, when they came home from that uh, uh, that appreciation dinner, they found out that somebody had been in their house, someone with a hook who had scraped up their walls. And turns out that this person had taken their children, kidnapped their children. It was at this point that Wendy told Peter Panning that all those stories that he grew up with about Peter Pan, they were actually true. That's right. And in fact, he was Peter Pan. Now, Peter Panning, he wouldn't believe any of this. Uh, he was conditioned by the world to forget his true identity. He'd lived in the quote-unquote real world of being a lawyer, of being a grown-up, that he forgot who he was, who he really was. And if it was not for the wise and wonderful and pretty good-looking Tinkerbell who showed up, uh, Julie Andrews makes the best Tinkerbell I've ever seen, okay? Uh, she shows up and bops him on the head and then takes him back to Never Neverland so that he can regain his Peter Pan powers and take back from the enemy what he stole, that evil Captain Hook having kidnapped the two children. And of course, 
Captain Hook was trying to get even for having lost his hand in a previous battle, but that's a different story. So Peter, uh, Peter Panning goes back to Never Neverland, but he doesn't believe he's Peter Pan. He's been conditioned by the matrix of this world to think he's just a lawyer. And Tinkerbell's persistent on telling him that he is Peter Pan. And the Lost Boys begin to see that, you know, there is a resemblance there. Maybe he really is Peter Pan, but he's forgotten who he is. And, and uh, but he, uh, Peter Panning himself has a hard time believing this. I want to show two clips from this uh, movie. Uh, the first shows when he's beginning to wake up to his true identity. The second shows when he really has woken up to ident his identity because he learns the power of a happy thought. And um, the, the first scene starts with, with uh, Peter Panning's son having just hit a home run in a game that Captain Hook was staging to try to win his son's favor. He hit a home run that went up in the air and has not yet come down. And so here's the scene. waking up to your true identity. He couldn't do it until he could re really be convinced of, of who he was. Uh, Tinkerbell, the wise and beautiful, says to him, uh, you know, if you can't imagine it, Peter, you'll never be it. If you, can't, if you can't imagine that you're Peter Pan, you'll never release those powers. It's only when he wakes up to that and sees the power of his happy thought that he can, in fact, do all that he uh, is in his nature to do and begin to fly and begin to use a sword and begin to fight Captain Hook and take back his children. 
And the question I want to ask us this morning is, who do we imagine ourselves as being? What is the reflection that you see in the pond of your mind? Of course, you probably know if you've been here for any length of time uh, what the right theological answer to give is, because you know perhaps what the Bible says about who you are. But the question is not who have, who, what theoretical belief do you have about yourself, but what what do you really believe about yourself on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis? What are the tapes that are running, the movies that you're seeing, the reflections that you're seeing? What in the core of your being, who in the core of your being do you think you are? Now, the Bible tells us a lot of incredible, mind-boggling, wonderful things about who we really are in Christ Jesus. Holy, radiant, spotless, altogether beautiful, uh, you know, uh, seated in heavenly places with Christ, can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, etc., 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 but all of that, see, strikes us as fantasy. It strikes us as make-believe. We, we are more inclined to believe our fallen experience than the Word of God. Here God tells us that we're this, that, and the other thing, holy, radiant, spotless, but our experience is something different, and so we're inclined to, to treat the story of our being children of God the way Peter Panning treated the, treated the stories of Peter Pan. It's just make-believe. It's just wishful thinking. It's just uh, odd, unusual stuff. Maybe someday, some way, when Jesus returns, we'll see some truth in all of this. But right now, our experience, our actual experience, utterly contradicts what God says about us, and we tend to give our experience more credibility than what God says about us. And so we don't imagine ourselves and think about ourselves and are transformed in the renewing of our minds in terms of what God says we are. We tend to just reconfirm our experience over and over and over again. The problem is this. We, like Peter Pan, have been brainwashed. The pattern of this world that Paul talks about in Romans 12 too has conditioned us. In fact, as we said two weeks ago, we have had, quite literally, microchips installed in our brain which get activated instantaneously under the right triggers that, that flash lying pictures and words that create deceptive feelings in our minds that lead to ungodly behavior and ungodly attitudes. And there are microchips that are there. We've been programmed, we've been conditioned to be conformed to the pattern of this world. And that's why the truth looks like a lie to us because the lie looks like truth. The, 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 the microchip actually looks like this. It's, it's a neuron firing. This is a, 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 it's just a chemical explosion in your brain that operates in a deterministic way according to how it's been conditioned. And under the right triggers, boom, it goes off. And th- that's a narrow net of, uh, of, of anger. It's like a microchip. Uh, here I must, boom, be angry. It flashes pictures of, uh, that, that, that install anger in us. Um, what it actually is is a series of axions and dendrites that are united together, and the pattern of, of those, those neurons touching and firing creates our sense of reality about everything, our, our sense of, uh, of every word that I'm saying right now and the environment that you're in, as well as everything you think and feel uh, in, inside your head. It's all neurons exploding. But they do it in patterned ways as they have been conditioned to, and we didn't do the conditioning, not for the most part. Uh, they're like microchips in our brain that, that, that turn us, reduce us into robots programmed by the world. The way the pattern operates is that the stimuli comes at us and acts like a trigger that activates the microchip, which flashes words and, and images in our head that create certain kinds of feelings because we interpret it as real that leads to certain kinds of behavior. And it happens at one three thousandths of a second and it happens automatically. And if you don't choose the trigger and you didn't choose the microchip, you're not choosing how you respond to it. So we are to that degree 
reduced down to robots, just a bundle of protoplasm responding to stimuli in programmed and predictable ways. What all that programming is about, we've also said before, is, is having a false faith. Having a false faith. Faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, is the substance, hypostasis, of things hoped for and the, the uh, uh, firm conviction or the confident expectation elegkos uh, of things not seen. Hypostasis refers, I believe, in one application of it, as it refers to the way we concretely image things in our head uh, about what the future is going to bring, which creates a feeling of confident expectation that that's what's going to happen. And all of these microchips install us in that way, and it determines our identity, our sense of reality, and the direction of our life. This is why this mind stuff is so utterly, utterly crucial. You know, the thought of, or the, I face fixing a, a circuit breaker. Uh, the very thought of that, boom, it's a trigger. Like everything else, it's a trigger, which activates at one three thousandths of a second, far faster than I could be conscious of, unless I'm really thinking about it in prayer. It activates uh, thoughts of failure. I'm going to screw this up. Uh, I'm incompetent. I'm, uh, you know, thoughts of anger, and then thoughts of swearing is the appropriate uh, response to that. All of them in pictures. I'm experiencing it as real, so I feel the need to swear, and I end up swearing. I'm controlled by a stupid microchip. Some people, the very idea of confronting someone else. They can be really confident in the rest of their life. They're together, but they got to confront somebody, and the other person might get a little bit angry. They, they all of a sudden feel like they get butterflies. They're all nervous. They can't do it. They become passive-aggressive because the thought of confronting somebody is a trigger that stimulates a microchip that perhaps uh, flashes very quickly a picture of dad shaming them or something like that. And the message is, never make anyone angry. It's wrong to make someone angry. And so they just turn into this, they can't confront anybody. You know, they're controlled by a microchip. For some people, the very thought of getting into an intimate relationship triggers a picture of a kid teasing you on a sixth grade bus, and boom, you're afraid of rejection, and you can't enter into relationships. For some, maybe the, the, the thought of sex, even within marriage, makes them feel numb and makes them feel dirty. Because the trigger is, is uh, the very thought of sex is a trigger that, that evokes a microchip that flashes before them a, a vivid, vivid memory of, of a childhood of abuse or some past sexual experience. And they don't even know they're doing this, but they feel the feeling of it. And so even though intellectually they know, I ought to be able to have you know, a passionate, loving, fun relationship with my wife or my husband, they in fact feel numb and just sort of feel there because they're being controlled by a microchip. Something that God intended them to have has been stolen, killed, destroyed by the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he does it through the microchips that we inherit from the past and, and from the world around us. For some people, for some people, the very concept of marriage is one major trigger. The, the, the very idea of marriage evokes pictures of their parents being married, and maybe it wasn't a pleasant thing. Maybe it was a, a passionless thing. So the meaning of marriage is you sort of just check out. And they're really wonderful while you're courting. They're romantic while you're courting. They're kind while you're courting. As soon as you get married, boom, there's somebody different. Why? Well, the microchip just got activated. You wonder, who did I just marry? You see, it, it's a... Uh, some people, they, they, you know, wherever they look, they're just trained, especially people who have been raised in a religious environment. They just, everything that they disagree with, everything they don't like, everything they disapprove of, prove of is a sort of a trigger that just activates all sorts of judgment, pictures, and messages in their brain, and they find it really, really difficult, if not impossible, to love people unconditionally, to ascribe worth to them, all people at all times, in all situations, no ifs, ands, and buts. They got computer chips in the way. 
And to the degree that we didn't install those, those, those microchips, and, and, and the only microchips we did install are the ones that we were very intentional at installing. Otherwise, you've inherited it all. It's come at you. To that degree, you are a product of what dad said, of what mom did, of the grandparents, of the car crash, of the thing you saw on television, of what the boyfriend did, of what the ex-fiance did, of what the commercials say, of what the songs say. The entire, we are reduced to protoplasm that responds to stimuli in programmed and predictable ways. And the one who programmed us is the media, it's the past, it's, it's the parents, it's, it's, it's our own past failures. And ultimately behind the whole thing, and this is what really begins to tick me off. It, it is honestly, a, this is the one true conspiracy. It's the the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The principality and power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. 2. The one who controls the entire world, 1 John 5.19. He's behind the whole thing to keep the children of God in bondage, in the matrix, not flying out of it like we're supposed to fly. God says you can fly, but we don't really believe it because we're, we're reduced to robots under the power of, of the enemy. So the all-important question is, how do you break free? How do you, how do you fly out of the matrix? You notice the way Peter Pan flies is exactly the same way that Neo flies in the Matrix. That's why it's, you know, well, it's the same concept. They got to get free from their mind. How do we do it? And in the last three messages, I've outlined some principles of, of getting free. I want to I reinforce one of them that is absolutely foundational to everything else. It is this. We break free from the microchips. We deprogram ourselves. To do that, the, we have to have God having more credibility to us than the microchips. If you want to get rid of the microchips, something has got to be more credible than the microchips. God, what God says about us has to have more credibility than what we think and what we feel, insofar as what we think and what we feel disagrees with what God says. That's very hard because we're so used to believing our own thoughts. We think our map is the territory. Uh, every microchip in your brain, you're used to. It, you, it, it feels true. Of course it feels true. It's, you know, it, it's part of who you are, at least how you've experienced yourself being. And to get free, to step outside and be a spirit being that now, now we take our thoughts captive, there's got to be something that has more credibility than your own thoughts and your own feelings. If, if nothing has more credibility than your own thoughts and your own feelings then obviously it's self-evident. It is tautological. It's redundant to think that, 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 to say that you can't thereby change it. You can't, it's like you can't get out of quicksand by pulling yourself up on your own bootstraps. You can't do it because the bootstraps are part of the thing that's sinking. If you fall off of a cliff, grabbing onto your suitcase isn't going to help a whole lot now, is it? Because the suitcase is governed by the same law that, that, that you are and, and it's going down with you. So also... Your thoughts and feelings aren't the solution, they're the problem. And the only way you're going to get out of this problem is if someone, something has more credibility to you than your own thoughts and feelings. His name is Jesus Christ. It is the truth. Amen. And you'll know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And that is so true. But the question is this. What part of your brain doesn't believe the truth? What part of your brain is still believing the lie? Because to that degree, you're not free. Insofar as you know the truth, are convinced of the truth, really believe the truth, regardless of what you feel, you will be set free. But insofar as what you believe to be true is not what's true, you are in bondage to that. That's why Paul said, this verse is so crucial. It's a main act of spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Paul says, we demolish, everybody say demolish. 
We demolish. That means to destroy, to annihilate, to obliterate, to utterly, utterly get rid of without residue. You demolish, you tear down, you just rip apart. Arguments, the word there is logismos, which means reasoning processes. Okay, we demolish reasoning processes and every pretension, hupsoma, it refers to some kind of embodied thing. I think it, it refers to an embodied reasoning process. Anything in your imagination, any picture that you see, any words that you hear, any memories that you have, anything, whether it's a rational argument or a hupsoma, an imagination, anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Here's the knowledge of God. Who God is, who you are, what is true. This is reality, the knowledge of God. And anything over here, whether it's a reasoning process or imagination, it happens at one three thousandths of a second or it's a major belief that you have. If it disagrees with God, demolish it, obliterate it, annihilate it, get rid of it, smash it to pieces and throw the pieces out. And that's how you take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it takes an intentionality, uh, uh, an earnestness uh, to be attentive to this. But this is, this is where the battle is fought. What in your brain doesn't agree with God? I don't care what it feels like. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how long it's been there. If it disagrees with God, it's a microchip that's planted by the enemy ultimately, and you need to get rid of it. And to the degree that you don't get rid of it, you're in bondage. To the degree that you do get rid of it, you are free. Let's look at just a few of the hundreds of examples that we could use in the New Testament. The Bible says that you're a child of God, Galatians chapter 3. You're a child of God. Amen? You're a child of God. Uh, you're, you're a king's kid. You are royalty. You are royalty. That means that that, that truth, represent that as, as vivid as you can in your brain. And sniff out everything that disagrees with that. Here's one thing that would disagree with that. We, we need to demolish, we need to demolish any picture, any word, any memory that suggests I must settle for how I've been programmed. This is just the way I am. You know, I, 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 this is just the way I was raised. Anything that says that, you got to demolish that. You are a king's kid. What are you doing with this microchip that somebody else put in you? Uh, you know, some, some, some TV, some anchor woman on t the television perhaps put a microchip in you. Or maybe it was your, your drunken dad put a microchip in you. Or maybe it was just you put a microchip in yourself when you were a little kid. What are you doing giving yourself as a little kid or your dad or the anchor woman the authority to determine you, to, who you are to that degree? You're a king's kid. You deserve better than that. You are, you are a, a child of the, the Lord of all lords and the king of all kings, the creator of the universe. Uh, you are one of his radiant brides. You have royalty running through you. And when you look, when you realize that you have, you are, have been to a significant degree programmed by the microchips in your brain, it ought to tick you off. You deserve better than that. You ought to get mad at this. Do you want to be a rock walking pile of protoplasm responding to stimuli in predictable and programmed ways? No, you're a king's kid. Get mad at those microchips. In fact, I don't think it, if we don't get a holy, righteous indignation, ticked offness in Jesus' name towards these microchips, I, we, we, we won't have the, the, the energy and the urgency to be attentive enough to, to deprogram them. It'll make you mad. Do you really want to be one of the herd walking around just according to how dad said or what mom said or what the boyfriend said or what the car accident did or, or what have you? These instantaneous things that control our brains. Mm, walking this way. No, I got to walk this way. I always got to get mad into these situations. I always got to lust into these situations. I, do you want that to be happening? No, you're a king's kid. Get mad at the microchips. You're a child of God. Demolish everything that disagrees with that. Here's another one. 
You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So demolish every thought, every picture, every, every uh, logismos and every hoopsoma that says, uh, I've always been this way and I can't change. No, this is just the way I am. I can't help it. <laughs> just the way I am. In fact, my dad was that way too. <laughs> in fact, his dad was that way too. This is just kind of a genetic thing. It's a social thing. I just, it's just the way we are. Lies out of the pit of hell. <laughs> Lies. Uh, you know, what are you going to believe? You're going to believe old grandpa or you're going to believe God? I mean, Jesus or grandpa. And ultimately, Jesus or Satan. Not that Satan was your grandpa, but he's going to use what your grandpa said to keep you in bondage until you own up to this truth. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus, a new creation. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care what's gone on before. I don't care what grandpa did. I don't care if it goes back 400 years starting here right now. You and me, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Believe it. God said it. Receive it. Live in it. Amen. And smash, obliterate, oh, just, just annihilate everything that doesn't agree with that. Uh, you know, who's going to have the more credibility? You see, it comes down to this. The Bible says that you've been given grace. You've been forgiven by God. You've been made holy, and you have been freed from condemnation. So why don't you just, you know, what's going to have credibility? Do you going to believe that? I don't care whether you feel it or not. I don't care whether you're used to it or not. I don't care whether it feels true or not. What's going to have the more credibility? You know, your brain or God. And I'm going to tell you right now, your brain's all screwed up. Don't trust it, except insofar as it agrees with God. Okay, you're, that means demolish every thought that I'm still guilty and I'm unsaved or, or anything of this sort. It is so grieving to find people who have surrendered their life to Christ uh, and, and put their trust in Jesus Christ, but they're still wallowing in the depression and the mire and the condemnation of something that happened five years ago or 15 years ago, or I've seen it as long as 50 years ago. They just, they just wallow in that. They've confessed it. They've done everything that they could do to bring restoration. That's good, but they can't let it go. And who's behind it? The accuser. The accuser. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Because if he can get you walking around with these microchips of guilt and microchips of, oh, I'm not really loved by God and I'm not really saved, if they just get activated every time you think about that past thing, well, then he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10.10. So what is he killing, stealing, and destroying here? He's, he's killing your life. He's destroying your victory. Instead of walking around as a celebrating, full-of-life person who knows and experiences that their true identity is forgiven and reconciled, you're walking around or feeling guilty, a second-class citizen, or maybe not even saved at all. He's sucking the life out of you. He is the cosmic leech and he uses the microchips to do it. Instead of flying in the forgiveness of God, you're gravity bound in the condemnation of the enemy. Take the truth of God and come against, tear down, abolish, and annihilate those microchips in your brain. Keep it from being activated. Amen. Whenever you hear that voice, you got to just know that's not of God. That's, that's not of God. You just take the thoughts captive to Jesus Christ. You've been set free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So demolish every, every word, every image, every voice of the past or the present that says, I have no power to stop this sin. This sin is bigger than me. I can't help it. This is just the way it is. No, in Jesus Christ, you know, it's not just about you. It's, it's the power of God in you. And you can do all things through him who strengthens you. You are more than a conqueror and you can do all things in Christ. So demolish the thought. I can't, I can't do it. I'm a victim. I'm helpless. Uh, words and pictures, everything that reinforces that, I don't care how true it feels, you demolish it. You are one who has God as their source of life. 
God is your one true source of life. So demolish every word or picture, everything that gets activated instantaneously that says, I get my worth or my validation or my esteem from how I look, from how good I am, from how I can preach, from how I can sing, from the house that I'm in, from the car that I drive, from how sexy I am, or whatever. Everything that tries to get you addicted to something out there in the world, you demolish that. Because you know who your life is. There's no life found in that. I get so grieved I, 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 when, when, when people fall into the stupidity of the matrix uh, on these areas. One of the strongest areas of the matrix in this culture is about greed. That you, you always need more. You always got to get more. You, you know, and, and, you, and you spend an inordinate amount of times and ignore your kids perhaps like Peter Panning did in order to chase after the holy dollar. Lies out of the pit of hell. Paul says in 2 Timothy 5 that some actually fall away from the faith because of their greed. Uh, people, I've seen people genuinely believe this when they say this. They're believers and yet they find themselves in the position where they say, the only thing that makes me feel like a real man is the money I make. The only thing that gives me satisfaction in life is the money that I make. The only thing that makes me really feel like I have worth is the money I make and the car that I drive and the house that I'm in. And, and it is bondage, delusional bondage from the pit of hell, microchips in the brain. In Jesus' name, know that Jesus Christ is your source of life. Drink life from him. And it's fine to earn money. I'm all for it. We could use a few more big money earners around here. Uh, but, but, but you do it because uh, you're, you're a kingdom person. You don't need it. It's just what you're good at, and so God uses that to further his kingdom. You are one, finally, who has been given a spirit of confidence, power, love, and balance, a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. So demolish every thought that I'm a fearful person, I'm just a weak person, or I can't possibly love like Jesus loves, or, I hear this one a lot, I'm going nuts, I'm going crazy, my word's falling apart. Not, oh, what are you going to believe? What, what, what are you? It's all about this. Who has the most credibility to you? What is true to you? And, uh, you know, P Peter Panning just had to think a happy thought to start, start flying. We need to think a true thought. You, get, you grab hold of that true thought. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, I am I, a child of God. You think that true thought, you know what? You're starting to fly. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, to, uh, whatever is true, whatever is holy, whatever is pure, whatever is consistent with Christ, live there. When you, the more you live there, the more it no longer feels like fantasy and pretend to you. Now this begins to feel like truth and reality to you. And that old world, that matrix world, that delusional world, that's the thing that was pretending. We pretend, we're pretending, we're faking it to the degree that we're not flying. Because our real nature is to be flying beings. Flying represents everything that we can be in Christ. We're not earthbound creatures. So I'm talking, about, I'm talking about getting free from the gravitational pull of the enemy that keeps us rooted in the fallen world. I'm talking about waking up to our true identity. I'm talking about changing the reflection you see in the pond of your mind. When you look at the, in the mirror of your brain, what do you really see? Because if you can't imagine it, you're never going to manifest it. Okay, I'm talking about learning how to fly, holding the truth in the brain. I'm talking about flying away from that old self and flying into that new self. Start flying in the identity that you have in Christ Jesus. Start flying in the no condemnation that you have in Christ Jesus. Start flying in the forgiveness that you have in Christ Jesus. Start flying in the peace that you have in Christ Jesus. Start flying in the victory that you have in Christ Jesus. And leave that earthbound gravitational stuff behind. Debug the brain and get free from the chains that are in our mind in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Know who you are. Know who you are. Know who you are.
The way God sets us free, it is so beautiful. The way he motivates us to fly is by telling us the truth of who we are in the midst of the lies that we believe. And by telling us the truth of who we are in the midst of the lies that we believe, he wakes us up to the lies that we believe so we can start believing the truth. See what I'm saying here? He he motivates by grace rather than shame. Uh, Here's the difference. Shame... Shame, the way shame, shame always draws a conclusion about a person's identity based on what they do. Because of what you did, you are this kind of a person. You are a no good, rotten, scoundrel, scum, snail's breath, dirt of the earth, rebellion, ungrateful, yada, yada, yada. And, and, uh, and it tries to, you know, change behavior. But see what that does. When you conclude a, a, something about a person's identity based on what they do, now you've just told them that what they did was perfectly consistent with who they are. So you've installed a microchip. You've just increased the probability that they're going to do that more and more and more. You haven't motivated them at all. It is so diabolical and deceptive. It really is. Follow this here. The whole matrix, not, major portions of the matrix that we're a part of, are held together by judgment and the shame that comes from judgment. That's why the original sin is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're playing God when we define somebody. When we shame them, we're playing God. You are a this. Only God has the authority to do that. And what we're doing is we're installing a, a microchip in, in a person, or maybe even in ourselves, that, that now makes the attitudes and the thoughts and the behaviors that we do perfectly consistent. A hardened criminal feels no remorse for what they do because they've totally internalized the message that they are this kind of a person. So when they do it, it feels totally consistent. Remorse and conviction is the result of knowing that your identity is not your behavior. You see, the gulf between your identity and behavior is what creates conviction and what motivates change. God motivates us to fly out of grace, not shame. He tells us who we really are. And it's because of who we really are that our behavior and our thoughts are beneath us. They miss the mark. Because we are not them. We're different than them. You see what I'm saying here? And that motivates us to now begin to move into this. You find this throughout the scripture. Um, Paul, in 1, Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he writes to them and he says, To the saints that are at Corinth. Uh, the saints, the hagioi. It means the holy ones. The holy ones at Corinth. And he says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So you're probably thinking, man, a group of Mother Teresa's here, you know. Really yeah, remarkable Christians, I'm sure. But you see, you read the first and second Corinthians, and these folks, they, they are pretty wacky. Uh, you know, they, they, they get together for communion. You, you think, you know, churches today got problems? Well, back then, they had just as big of problems. They get together for communion, and some would bring the wine, but they drink it all. You know, to celebrate the Lord's, this is the blood of the Lord, let's have it. And they drink the whole thing, and they'd get drunk. And the other people would bring the bread to celebrate his broken body. But they eat it all because they were hungry. That's why the people who drank the wine got drunk, is because there's nothing to absorb the wine that they were drinking. It was just, and they were doing this while they're celebrating communion. I mean, you talk about wacko. Here, they're supposed to be celebrating the ultimate sacrifice and self-giving love and you know, all that kind of stuff. And they're doing it while one group's hoarding the wine, the other group's hoarding the bread. Paul gets so mad, he says, don't you have your own houses to get drunk in? What's wrong with you guys? You know, and yet... You know, what they were doing was not saintly, was not godly, was not holy. But Paul says, you are holy, you are ungodly. And it's on that basis that he says, so what's with all this nonsense? There's a gulf here between who you really are and, and uh, you know, what you're doing here. Some of them didn't believe in the resurrection. I mean, you talk about heresy. Here's some people in the, the church of Corinth. They, they don't think the resurrection occurred. And so uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, has to try to prove to them that the resurrection actually really happened. Um, 
you know, this is not exactly wise, mature, godly Christian thinking. It's certainly not orthodox, but Paul calls them holy to the saints. You saints who get drunk at communion and don't believe in the resurrection, you're holy. I, Paul, I'm sure, had to, you know, uh, work to do this. But it's like, okay, okay, God says you're holy, so I got to say you're holy. You're holy. Uh, you're saints. You put your trust in Jesus, even though you're major screwed up in a lot of ways. See, God calls us to be who we really are. And by affirming us in the midst of our junk, moves us to get out of our junk. Some of them we find uh, in 2 Corinthians. There was a house church that had a leader who was shacking up with his stepmother, having sexual relationships with his stepmother. Eh! Uh, you know... <laughs> And the worst part was that the Corinthians not only weren't confronting it, it seems that they were sort of celebrating it. Like, this guy is so, he so trusts the grace of God, he'll even, you know, shack up with his stepmother, and, he, and, and, he, and he, you know, he's walking in forgiveness then. And that's how much, and this is like major, wacko, screwed up, loony theology <laughs> to the saints that are at Corinth to the saints that are. See, God calls us who we are. That's, that, that's grace. You motivate uh, not by uh, uh, drawing a conclusion about what a person is on the basis of what they do. That just confirms that what they did was right or appropriate to them. You motivate by calling. This is a great lesson for parenting. If you want to be a godly parent, treat your kids the way God treats you. I, my daughter, uh, you know, I know pastors are supposed to have perfect kids, and mine are close, but not quite. So my, when my daughter was 15, she came home. She's sleeping over at a friend's house, so she told us. And, and uh, she, uh, two in the morning, I got a knock on the do door and some policemen. And out of the back seat, they put my daughter. Uh, she's missing a shoe. Her sweater's on backwards. And uh, she's telling us, she didn't have any of the drink. Uh, and uh, it, it was, it, the only reason they got home is because she had a wallet that told her where she lived. Turns out she was at, at this friend's house. They ended up drinking. They're going to go toilet paper somebody's house. She got lost from the pack. And, they, and then she got the wrong house where she was staying. So she's trying to break into a house in this condition. Somehow she lost the shoe. She doesn't know how. It was, she was slightly inebriated. In fact, more than slightly inebriated. Now, Two in the morning, this was a shocker, and, and we're like, what? And, and there's a part of you, this is the fallen world. This is the matrix. That, that Especially because, uh, here's a trigger. I should treat them the way I was treated when I did this kind of stuff. All right? The tapes kick in. And most of them are about the exact wrong way to do it. Let's draw a conclusion about who she is based on what she did. What are you, a drunk? Uh, you're no good, rotten kid. You just da 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 you know. And, and what that would have done would be install microchips that would encourage her to do that again because that is who she is. We live in congruity with who we really believe we are. Uh, by the grace of God, we didn't do that. Um, and the next morning, we came down, and she's feeling very, very miserable, both physically and emotionally. And what we said was this. Uh, Alicia, we call her Snorky because when she was a little baby, she snorked all the time. She can't, she'd keep us awake at night because she snort, snorted so loud. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, I got her permission to tell this story. I, I'm not telling tales out of school, just so you know. You're all wondering here. She said it's okay. It was, you know, six years ago. Um, but uh, um, we said, Alicia, you know what? You are a... Uh, we're so proud of you, all you've done in school and your sports and, and the, the things, you know, your missions trips to Mexico. And, and you, you know, you, you're such a precious kid and we love you so much. And, uh, you know, the, you know that other kids look up to you and, and want to be around you because you've got a personality that is just so unique. You're just so attractive to, to people. And God's going to use you in some incredible, incredible ways. And we just love you so much and we feel honored to be your parents. And that's why this behavior is so disappointing to us and why it breaks our heart. You see, now, now there's a contradiction. And at that point, she just broke. 
And at that point, we just broke. And what could have been a shaming, divisive, judgmental thing that could have set her in a different path becomes a unifying thing. The love actually increased because of this. And uh, it was, we, we both cried, and, and my wife and I, I cried, and we hugged her. And as I was getting ready to leave, I wiped a tear from her eye and told her that she was grounded for life. Uh, but but <laughs> grace doesn't mean there aren't any consequences. Uh, I got to install this very, this is a microchip I got to install very deeply. Don't ever think about doing this again. But it, it turned out to be a great thing. God moves us, changes us by uh, telling us who we are in the midst of our stuff. I'm going to play part of this song. Uh, I, I, I got this song. We only have time for it. The, the major message comes in the first half. But it's called You Are My Child. I heard it on Thursday. I went out and got it because it just zeroes in on this whole point. It's by Mark Schultz. Let's play it.
Praise God. Thank God. Thank, I, this is praise him. Now we're, we're his children. Amen. Thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. Amen. You are set free. Think it and live it. Can we stand? And as I close in prayer, can I ask the prayer team to come forward? And if you're here this morning and have any need that you want to pray for, I encourage you to come forward. Maybe you got a microchip that's really a splinter in your brain and you need to get prayed for. Uh, the prayer team will be up here and be happy to pray with you. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that. You need to do that for all of this stuff to apply to you, to, to say yes to what he, that he died on the cross for you to become his child. And so if you're this, here this morning and have never done that, maybe you've gone to church, whatever, but you've never made that personal commitment to him, uh, I'd like to see you over at this table. I and some other people will be over here who will be glad to explain to you how to do that, how to start that walk with God. So let me pray here. Father, I pray, God, for any who are here who don't know you, that you'd put it on their hearts to come up here and to make that commitment to receive you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, God, that all of us as we go out of this place would walk more thoroughly in the true identity we have in Christ. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to bug us, to remind us, to just nag on us if you need to, to remember to attend to what we're seeing and what we're hearing in our brain and to demolish every lie from the past, however it feels to us, demolish every falsehood and bring every thought captive to Christ. Lord God, we wanna worship you with all of our mind as well as all of our body, Lord. Be with us throughout this week and transform us to be the outrageously loving, spirit-filled, life-filled people that you've called us to be, that you've made us to be, that you died for us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The altar is open. We invite you to come forward and over to my right if you want to accept Christ as Lord and Savior.